Previously on At the Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz. 1949, there was an exorcism in Maryland. And this was, they changed the sex. It was a boy instead of a girl. But uh, they, it was based on, on that true story. I hope it wasn't in an underground bunker or deep beneath Bethesda, Maryland. No, say, say it's not true. <laughs> At the Movies ah, with, oh. Arch, with Arch Campbell. And Lou Katz and our usual <laughs> cast of thousands. Oh, boy. It begins right now. Here we go. <laughs> Are you the legendary radio voice I heard for many, many well, years? Well, you got that mostly right. I am a radio voice. Legendary, I'm not so sure. Oh, you're a legend in my mind. Anyway, we're inviting you for yet another chapter in that pathetic, li- <laughs> in that pathetic end yes. of a mediocre career. This- why do you write this? You had an incredible career and this continue is, to have one. This is where it led to. And it's Mr. Here Arch Campbell. Are. It's it's the underground uh, bunker of the Cats podcasting system. Yeah. And here we are together again. Just as we were, you know, you and I were on Wash FM together for, for many years. 15 years, maybe. And we were also on doing stuff on 107.3 prior I, to that. It, it was so long ago, it was Q107. <laughs> we go it wasn't way, even Mix 107. We go way back. Way <laughs> it was back. so long ago, they were playing commercial music. <laughs> So long ago, the station had listeners. Uh, oh. <laughs> but I want to tell Bada you, bang. seriously. Mm-hmm. So here we are with another uh, another episode. I um, I went to see Motherless Brooklyn. I really wanted to see that movie. Any good? Uh, it's the one with Ed Norton. Mm-hmm. I think he wrote it too. He stars. He's a uh, he's kind of a he's working for sort of a shady guy. He's sort of a detective, and he's working for Bruce Willis. And uh, Bruce Willis gets murdered, and Ed Norton is determined to get to the bottom of that and find out what happened. And Ed Norton also plays a guy with Tourette's syndrome. So suddenly, you know, every now and then he's got right. this tick where he says something, right. uh, uh, you know. Wild and crazy. Yeah. And uh, it's distracting. And I really wanted to see it. And the movie is long, and it's confusing, and the character doesn't work. And Alec Baldwin plays kind of the heavy. He's sort of a New York City uh, official who's uh, building expressways and gentrifying neighborhoods. And I hate to say this, because Alex Baldwin is a wonderful actor, but I can't watch him in a movie anymore without thinking of him mm-hmm. on Saturday right. Night Live. It's Trump, right? A, and, you know, and so if he's doing anything else, he just he looks like he's hamming it up. So uh, I was not impressed. I was very disappointed and uh, did not like it. So I don't recommend that. Okay, now what else have you seen? I watched uh, Dolomite Is My Name on Netflix. It's the Eddie Murphy movie. It was out in theaters for a couple of weeks, and now it's on Netflix. And it's based on a real-life comic named Rudy Ray Moore, who in the 70s created this character named Dolomite. He did a sort of a rhyming series of outrageous things uh, that Dolomite was doing uh, laced heavily with uh, the F word and the MF word and, you know, <laughs> lots of shock. And uh, ultimately, he uh, released a bunch of comedy albums and decided to make a movie. And the original movie that he made in the 70s, a exploitation movie, 
you can watch on Amazon Prime. And it's one of those things that's so bad it's good. So this movie that Eddie Murphy has made on the guy's life, Dolomite is My Name, is a sort of a version of Ed Wood or The Disaster Artist. Uh, it's it's about a guy uh, doing the best he can and making something kind of laughable that people watched at midnight screenings. And I only wish that I could see it in a theater. Uh, watching it at home kind of dampens uh, the experience, I think. So, yeah, well, you're watching on that little 10-inch black-and-white TV set you have in the kitchen table, Arch, no wonder. <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> Well, you know, my wife walked in, and there's Eddie Murphy, and he's spewing all these words and saying all this stuff, right. and and you know, it just it would have been much easier to see it with a crowd screaming. So I'm kind of mixed on that one. Is this a, a, an Oscar contender for him? Possibly. What do you uh, think? You know, people are saying that. I mean, people say a lot of things this time of year. Right. Uh, the fact that it's not getting much of a of a theatrical release, I don't know. We shall see. It's great to see Eddie Murphy, and he's having a lot of fun, and there are some very funny moments to Dolomite is My Name. Uh, This is the week before the release of the movie everybody's talking about, which is The Irishman, made by Martin Scorsese and starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Al Pacino. It comes to theaters November 8th. It opens this week in New York and L.A., I caught a screening at Middleburg, and so did our good friend Travis Hobson. Travis did me one better because Netflix offered to fly critics from all over the country to the L.A. premiere, and Travis was there, and he's with us now. Uh, Let me remind you, Travis is uh, known for his reviews at Punch Drunk Critics, as well as News Channel 8, my old gig, and WBAL (laughs) Radio. And Travis, tell us about this L.A. premiere. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, when it comes to award season, Netflix Netflix spares no expense. Right. Uh, let's just put it that way. Netflix is is willing to put out shut out whatever it takes to get their movies uh, the buzz that they want. And um, they did the same thing here. They put us they had us uh, put us up in, in nice hotels. Hmm. Uh, they they showed the movie at the at the Chinese theater, mm. uh, which I had never been to before. Yeah, surprisingly, yeah. and um, you know, and, and, and you know, Scorsese was there to kind of introduce the film, and uh, so was most of the cast. Pesci, Keitel, uh, De Niro, and, and of course Pacino were all there on hand. We did a press conference afterwards. You know, um, the next day which uh, Pacino pretty much dominated because he likes to tell stories. De Niro uh, very rarely speaks anyway, doesn't he? He's kind of the quiet guy. Yeah, De Niro said, like, nothing (laughs) for the entire conference. He said absolutely nothing. Uh (laughs) You know, one year De Niro got the award from the Italian-American Foundation here, and uh, a bunch of us were gathered around him after he gets the award, and I said, well... uh, how do you feel about this honor? And he says, well, it's an honor, and it's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that. Not only does that sound like something he'd say, it sounds like something one of his mobster characters would say in a movie. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. 
You know, it sounds like it's exactly the kind of thing you would say. <laughs> the Irishman runs uh, three hours and a half, and uh, you and I watched it together in Middleburg. How did it play out there at the grand premiere in the Chinese theater? I'll be honest, for me, it felt longer the second time. Because you'd already seen it? Maybe that's part of the reason. But I think the main reason why it felt that way is because as much as I as I enjoy the film, or at least I, 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 I appreciate the film for what it is, I really do. It's very well made. It's a more thoughtful look at what you know, the gangster life is mm-hmm. um, than what we saw in like Goodfellas, which is more glorifying the, the, the thrill of the crime, basically. This is this movie is not that. Uh, while I appreciate that, I don't know that people went in there expecting that kind of movie. Right. It's pretty gradual in its pace. Um, it's very reflective. Not a lot of action, and it can be slow at times. And it's also not really as much about Frank Sheeran, the character that De Niro's playing. It's almost as much a Jimmy Hoffa movie. Yeah, we should jump in and say De Niro plays the uh, bodyguard of Jimmy Hoffa and and is sort of the uh, envelope around the story. He's an old man at the beginning and an old man at the end, kind of, but not quite wrestling with the uh, choices he made in life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and a lot of the middle of the movie is about him kind of, you know, like you said, being on the right hand to Jimmy Hoffa, getting a lot involved in the Teamster business and things like that. And how, you know, the criminal underworld was, was, you know, uh, very much involved in that. But it's a movie that, you know, is is not what I think a lot of people are going to go in expecting. They're going to go in expecting it to be Goodfellas, and it's not going to be that movie. It's going to be one that's a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more serious, and there's not a lot of violence to it either. I guess we should also add that at the end of the month, it goes to Netflix, and in a sense, it's more of a television movie than a theatrical, because I can't find too many theaters that are going to uh, screen it here in Washington. And that's not surprising. I, it's a, Like you said, it's a three-and-a-half-hour movie, which means they wouldn't get very many showings of it. Um, they wouldn't be able to show it that often during the day. So far, I only find it at East Street. Yeah, well, East Street will show anything. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's vaguely uh, art house. They'll show it. Um, it's a movie that I think is probably better seen on Netflix in the comfort of your own home where you can kind of pause it and take a break. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and kind of come back to it. And, and, and I'm not really trying to be funny there. I mean, I actually think it's the case. Uh, some of these longer movies, they're just not designed for the multiplex experience. And this is one of those films. And Scorsese is really indulging in that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he made Silence a couple of years ago, Silence is also not a movie, I think, designed for the multiplex experience, which is good because Nobody went to a multiplex to see it. Um, so, so, so it worked out perfect. Do you think The Irishman would have been a better movie if it was two hours and 15 minutes instead of three hours and a half? See, here's the thing. I, I've been kind of grappling with that because on the one hand, does it need to be shorter? Yeah, probably. There are some parts in there that, that could probably be cut. At the same time, I wouldn't want him to cut any of the Hoffa stuff. Right. Uh, I feel like the Hoffa stuff with, with Pacino, who was absolutely amazing in this movie as Hoffa, uh, and I would say him and Joe Pesci, to me, are these really steal the film away from De Niro, who is kind of a passenger in this story. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to mess with any of that. The Hoffa stuff is absolutely great. 
especially for me, who has always been sort of fascinated by Jimmy Hoffa and his disappearance and things like that. And maybe we should uh, tell the folks, by the way, that they do solve the mystery of what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, in case you're wondering. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Scorsese plays Frank Sheeran's book, uh, I Heard You Paint Houses. He plays it straight. That book has largely been debunked in re- in real life and in, in reality. So, but Scorsese does not play it that way. I'd much rather think that Hoffa is in the end zone <laughs> of that stadium. <laughs> right, buried under the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's a lot better than this one. That may actually be true. I mean, I don't know, but it's as plausible as is any of the stuff that Frank Sheeran details. Well, is the Irishman an award contender? Is it going to be an Oscar contender, or will we see it at Oscar time? I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm grappling with that, too. See, here's the thing. This is a different year for Netflix than they've had before. Mm-hmm. Last year, they had a single movie to really promote, and that was Roma. Yeah, which was terrific. And they put all their muscle. It's a great movie. They put all their muscle behind it, and it paid off. This year, they've got multiple movies that could be really serious awards contenders here. The Two Popes, which I think is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marriage Story, Dolomite is My Name, mm. and, and of course, The Irishman. They've got so many movies out to, that they could put a lot of their, their back into. I feel like The Irishman may end up getting something for an actor, possibly. Um, maybe Maybe Pacino for Hoffa or maybe even Joe Pesci yeah. uh, who I think is maybe uh, probably giving us his final performance um, in a feature film uh, you know he may earn something as well but I think the reaction to the movie is going to hurt it because I just don't think people are going to go in expecting the kind of movie they're going to get well there you are you mentioned Dolomite is my name which I just watched this weekend on Netflix and as I watched it and it's Eddie Murphy and his blue streak Hard R uh, biography of Rudy Ray Moore, who was uh, uh, sort of a striving comic uh, cross between uh, between a young Eddie Murphy and uh, Ed Wood. And I wished I was watching it at a midnight screening. Oh, yeah. Instead of on Netflix. I attended a screening of that. Is, and I, it's one of those movies, you know, it's directed by Craig Brewer, who did Hustle and Flow. Yeah. And and it feels a lot like that, the sort of earthy, do-it-yourself vibe, a crowd pleaser, and it it benefits from being seen in a crowd. And Dolomite is My Name is like that, too. I still think watching on Netflix, it's fantastic, and it's maybe the best thing Eddie Murphy's ever done in a dramatic role. Uh, He is absolutely fantastic, and I can see him getting nominated for Best Actor. For that movie as well. But I just wished I was at some midnight screening and that people were screaming and yelling so loud that I was missing uh, lines of it. And by the way, I think Dolomite is My Name celebrates the midnight screening, which, uh, you know, we, we don't really have anymore. No, you're totally right. I mean, Rudy Ray Moore was a black exploitation icon. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, Dolomite is my name. It really does celebrate that that genre and, you know, and, you know, that, that like I said, that do-it-yourself vibe, that, that put, making a thing yourself and creating it yourself and finding a way to put it out there. And those are a lot of the, the way you saw a lot of those 
black exploitation films, they had to be done. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and I, I would I would love to see that in a double feature with Dolomite. Yeah, you you know the original is on uh, Amazon Prime, and I watched some of it, and they really do uh, duplicate it, kind of the same way they did the Disaster Artist. Yeah, this is a lot more a lot more fun than the Disaster. Very quickly. Uh, before we wrap up here, I want to ask you about two other movies opening this weekend. What's your view of Harriet, the Harriet Tubman movie? Yeah, um, I wanted to like this more than I did. Uh, it's directed by Casey Lemons, of course. You did Talk to Me and Eve's Bayou and stuff like that. A terrific director, one of my favorites. And I, I, I've i been trying to describe how I feel about it. It's a very dignified film is what I call it. <laughs> like It treats Harriet Tubman's story with the respect it deserves. But it's clear that Lemons is trying to make Tubman into sort of a modern-day superhero, um, just in a way her in her costuming and her uh, her gifts, which kind of grant her the ability of foresight. Uh, she's very much portrayed her fashion sense. She's very much portrayed as sort of a, a feminist superhero, and that's huh. that's an interesting take on the character. Uh, that's an, an interesting take on, on Harry Tubman, a historical figure, to turn her into that kind of character. I just don't know if that really worked for me. I, I kind of wanted to see, you know, uh, a, a more you know a, a more basic story of who Harriet Tubman was, one that was a little bit more revelatory than this one was, than trying to make her into that kind of character. To get the uh, the info, the story of her out in a new generation, because I imagine there are uh, many who don't know who Harriet Tubman is. Yeah, I feel like everybody knows like the basic stuff about her, Underground Railroad, like that's what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this movie really expands on that all that much. Um, I don't know if it tells you a whole lot that you don't already know other than to make her seem like sort of a superheroine, which I don't know if that's the right way to go about it. And the other thing I want to ask you about is there's another, yet another Terminator, you know, (laughs) when Schwarzenegger said, I'll be back, he really meant it. He's been in all of them. Why even bother to review whatever this Terminator is? I mean, people, the people who are going to go are going to go, and the rest of us know it sucks. Oh, come on. I actually think this is <laughs> the best Terminator movie since, since T2, since Terminator 2. Um, it, yeah, I think they they get they finally get the formula right, which is you have to bring back Linda Hamilton, who comes back as Sarah Connor. She is like the heart and soul of these movies, and bring her back means so much. But it's also a movie that is timely. It's it's female focused. You know, it it, uh, it brings in new characters. It has a, a feminine point of view. Um, it even has, even deals with immigration in sort in a, in a different kind of way. Hmm. I, I just think that this movie it, it it's sort of like The Force Awakens in that it it pays homage while also charting a new path with brand new characters. That's what I love about you, Travis. You still you love the movies and you're still an optimist and you know, I salute that. Well, thank you. I try I try to go in and like everything and, and try to like every, find something to like in everything. Even the stuff that I don't expect to like. I try to find stuff that I like. Um, I did not I did not expect to like Terminator. And should I remind everyone that you're on Punch Drunk Critics, this is a great website, and WBAL Radio and their website, and News Channel 8 and their website. That's a cool site. It's a great honor to speak uh, movies, to talk movies with you, Travis, and uh, we'll speculate on 
what uh, award season will bring. It's a, it's an interesting time for that. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Arch. Okay, before we get uh, rolling, there's a couple of shout-outs. The first is to Robert Evans, who passed away this week. Robert Evans was 89 years old. He was the head of Paramount Pictures in the 70s, and uh, those were the years when Paramount turned out The Godfather 1 and 2 and Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby and love story. He got into all sorts of trouble, was an outrageous bachelor, married six or seven times. His wife, Ali McGraw, was married to him and left him for Steve McQueen. He was bar- married to Phyllis George, the former Miss oh, you're America. you're kidding, before I, she married the uh, Kentucky governor. I there. did not know that wow. until I read this. If you want to read something outrageous, his memoir is titled The Kid Stays in the Movie, and and they made a documentary on it, too. And it's just a great piece of old Hollywood. A lot of people say he's the bridge between old Hollywood of the 50s and then the new Hollywood that came forward in the 70s, Robert Evans. And then I was very sad to see that John Witherspoon passed away. You're familiar with John Witherspoon? His name does ring a bell. 77 years old. He was a comedian. A lot of times, he, David Letterman really loved John Witherspoon. I think they, they got started together doing stand-up. Witherspoon was just outrageous. He, and he's in the Fridays series of movies. I think he plays a grumpy uh, father. He came to Channel 4 one time, and I interviewed him. I think he had made Soul Plane. Oh, did you ever I see, saw Soul did Plane? Did you see Soul Plane? I, all those plane <laughs> movies, I, 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 I did admit, I did see them. He play, He's the blind man in Soul, Soul plane, plane. Oh, my who God. Who mistakes a baked potato... <laughs> For something else. (laughs) Yeah. And in that interview, he said, oh, that soul plane. That's really, it's a bad movie. Don't go see it. Please don't. He just was, I can't remember laughing as much as I did uh, talking to John Witherspoon. When his, his bits on David Letterman were just outrageous. And he was a Shakespearean trained actor. Uh, you know, he could he could start uh, reciting Hamlet at the uh, drop of a hat. And then tell so, a funny joke after yeah, that. Yeah, John Witherspoon. So shout out to him. He was a great, great funny man and a great actor. At the movies with Arch Campbell and mm-hmm. Lou Katz mm-hmm. comes to you from Where? the Katz Podcasting Underground Bunker Studios. Oh. <laughs> buried deep. <laughs> Very deep beneath Bethesda, How Maryland. Deep is it? <laughs> it's so deep. <laughs> it's getting deep in here. <laughs> it is. Get the shovel. This is the Cats Podcasting System. Lou, uh, perhaps the, our listeners have something to say to us. Well, our, They'd like our, to get in touch with us. Hopefully our one listener, yes, can reach out. And that's arch at houndradio.com. Oh. And or if you'd like me, Lou, mm-hmm. that's L-O-O. L-O-O. At houndradio.com. And you call yourself Lou because someone misspelled it somebody, on a party invitation. Yeah, right? something like that. Back in the mm-hmm. 70s, yeah, somebody well. scratched out my name, which was L E, which is really Lewis, L-O-O. L-E-W, and uh, they said, L-O-O, funny bit. And I went, oh, that's sort of, and I stuck with it decades and 
a decade later. And we're also sticking with more good things on Hound Radio coming Mm. soon. We're going to team up with our pals at Bethesda Bagels to deliver bagel brunches to your office. Bagel brunches Mm -hmm. from Bethesda Bagels. Right. I will come out personally, maybe even drag you along if I can twist your arm enough. And we'll come out and bring some goodies. bagel in it? (laughs) There's there's more than one bagel in it for you. (laughs) We'll make special ones for you, Arch. So look out for that. More details are at houndradio.com. Plus, we also have copies of Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, that is, that's a very, very big movie. Fun movie. Weekend. We have DVD, Blu-ray combination disc packs that you can wow. also win through houndradio.com. So get all the details on our website again, houndradio.com. And you give away movie tickets. That we do. As a matter of fact, we just got two premieres that have just come in, and you are cordially invited to join us next Tuesday for Last Christmas This is a great little holiday movie with Henry Golding. You might remember him from Crazy Rich Asians. And if you're into cars, you don't want to miss out on Ford versus Ferrari with Matt Damon and Christian Bale. All the details on our website at houndradio.com. Free tickets for the screenings next Tuesday and Wednesday night at AMC Mazda Gallery in Northwest D.C. You're listening to At The Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands. So uh, last week we had so much fun with our dear friend Count Gourdeval that we have invited him back as our special Halloween weekend guest. And so now, direct from Transylvania, let's bring him in. You know him, you love him. Oh, yeah. Say hello to him. It's our friend Count Gore. Well, good afternoon, Arch and Lou. It's all good to have you. It's a good thing to be on your show. <laughs> I, oh, I think. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm just going to plow ahead because last weekend at the American Film Institute, you had yet another career triumph as you, as Count Gore, showed the new director's cut of The Exorcist. And how did the movie go over? The audience was totally possessed. <laughs> Heads were spinning. <laughs> Unfortunately, no one spit up pussy soup anywhere on this floor, so it was okay. Well, seriously, I, first of all, I remember when The Exorcist opened in 1973, and it was, it pushed the envelope for that time. And I wonder, you know, what has time done to The Exorcist? How has it uh, endured? Yeah, actually, surprisingly, it holds up very well. One of the smart things they did when they they shot it, they were very careful to keep the costuming very generic. So you can't really tell it's the 70s. I mean, not everyone's running around in polyester forms and all the rest of this stuff. Uh, Since they're dealing with primarily professionals and adults, no one has frizzy hair or (laughs) anything. I never thought of that. The only thing that kind of gives it away is the fact that the phones have cords on them and they're hanging on the wall. (laughs) And some of the the computers have uh, CRTs, okay? So you can tell of old catheter grade tube televisions. But other than that, it holds up remarkably good. I will say this. Let me say this about this. You know, we've done this now three times a year since 13. I sat there. And I'm, once we got into the exorcism, which is about, you know, four-tenths of the way through the film, you could have heard from the audience a pin drop. Wow. No one was talking. 
walking, no one was coughing, no one was going to the bathroom, no one was getting popcorn. It was incredible. I'm sitting there going, I've never heard such a quiet audience. They were just enraptured with this thing. It just grabbed them and held them. It was spectacular. I mean, really, I, I, I don't, I, I know they added 10 minutes. I honestly don't remember where other than the spider walk scene where she comes down the stairs upside down. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was, it just, it was a great film. Uh, have you uh, picked your next uh, film for your next appearance at the AFI? Is it too soon for that? Well, we're talking about start doing something maybe in the Hammer films. Oh. You know, we haven't done any of the Hammer films. And I'm thinking that maybe it's time to get into Christopher Lee's Dracula. What do you think? Well, but you know, I'm a Bella Lugosi guy. Yeah, me too. Never warmed to the Hammer films. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they look like now. Well, the ladies are well endowed with low-cut dresses and (laughs) plenty of atmosphere. (laughs) Well, we're on the weekend after Halloween. Yes, yes. How was your Halloween? Did you go out trick-or-treating? Oh, yes, I did. I I got uh, an apple with razor blades in it (laughs) and a couple of doors slammed in my face. What did you dress up as? Let me guess. You dressed up as a critic. (laughs) It's a retired, washed-up critic. <laughs> and actually, I held a tin cup out, hoping I could collect a couple of nickels. But, you, you know, I do, I, I do movie reviews door-to-door now. <laughs> three for two dollars. A dollar apiece, three for two dollars. We're having a special. So I made a little money Halloween night. At any rate, it's the Halloween weekend, and I wanted to ask you... What are your three or four or five, your favorite scary movies? All right. I'm glad you put it that way because you remembered that. Because a lot of times people ask me for my favorite horror movie. Mm-hmm. And my absolute favorite scary movie is not actually a horror movie. It's science fiction. But we'll get to that. I picked my five. Here we go. Oh, good. You've got to take it into account that Night of the Living Dead set the whole new standard for zombies. So that's right there on the on the list. All right. The Exorcist, now having seen it, my goodness, that it is it is just right there. Dracula, you're going you're gonna to hate me for this. As much as I like the Bela Lugosi, I recently rewatched the Frank Langella 1979 version, and I'm enamored with it. Oh, good. A movie that I can never see enough of has to be on my top five list, and that's Young Frankenstein. Oh. God to have Young Frankenstein. <laughs> I was there the night you showed Young Frankenstein at the AFI, and I have never heard a crowd roar with laughter and have as quite as much fun as they did that night. That's good. Good choice. It's an awesome film. Mm-hmm. And then, number one, Alien. I mean, it just still scares the living daylights out of me. Really? When I made a list, and I got up to, I might have five here, I put Rosemary's Baby, number one. Okay. I was jumping out of my skin after watching Rosemary's Baby, and then right behind it, The Exorcist. And I am a fan of the original Mummy from 1932. Have you ever seen the original? Really? With Boris Karloff and trying to get the soul of that woman who'd lived through the ages and the soul had uh, gone into into her and he was trying to carve it out of her. (laughs) That, for some reason, that speaks to me. And there's a movie called The Black Cat. Have you ever seen The Black Cat? With Lugosi and Karloff. Yes. 
Yes, I have. And they've got a grudge against each other. And Karloff has married Lugosi's wife. And then the wife dies and he marries Lugosi's daughter. And it's quite bizarre. Oh, yes. Includes a, just, a, <laughs> I don't want, you know, can you say necrophilia? I mean, it's just yikes. Uh, let me try. Necrophilia. <laughs> yes, I can say it. So that's 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 some for me. I like that you threw uh, young Frankenstein in there. Hey, I got to ask you a question, though, about The Mummy. You know, I've never been enamored with the films, and I'll tell you why. Let me ask you this. You're, watch, you're watching The Mummy, right? Right. They think of this mummy. This is a corpse that is wrapped in thousands of year old linen, you know, that's been there. And they bring him back to life, and he scares the bejeebus out of everybody because he's a live walking corpse. But, you know, I'm sitting here going, this thing's coming towards me. Man, I've got a match. He's, he's, he's history, you know what I mean? It's like torture. I mean, it doesn't take much to get rid of the mummy. You know, come on. Well, now, in, you know, in the original, um, he turns into Boris Karloff, and he's sort of this older gentleman who well, occasionally he says, please don't touch me. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> don't like being touched. I have a, a close-up of the makeup that they did for him, and he does look like he's, he's living dead. I am Artis Bay. Please don't touch me. Now, you will see, my dear, we will go back hundreds of years into the past. And I loved, you know, there's another scene in The Mummy where the old uh, scientist reads the curse on the thing. Death, eternal death. And his assistant says, well, let's see what's in here. <laughs> let's open it up. <laughs> Why not? So, but look, um, Count, um, we always love having you on the show and uh, want to wish you uh, a happy season. Well, thank you very much. And uh, you'll be back uh, this spring at the AFI? Actually, we, we have tentatively set the date of March 21st, the day first day of spring. Ah. And I think we're going to delve into the world of the Hammer Films. So I think uh, we haven't finalized that, but I'm, I'm leaning that way. We have not shown any of the Hammer films, and they are just so lush with horrific atmosphere. We've got to touch one of those. <laughs> well, uh, Count, best of luck to you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon and see you next spring. Absolutely. Thank you, Arch. Thank you, Lou. And may all your blood stay warm. And now, it is time for your favorite part. Is it that time? Uh-huh. Once again, your favorite part of the podcast. Favorite? It's where we let you, mm. our Hound Radio and podcast listener, mm-hmm. ask questions oh. with Ask Arch. Oh, Ask Arch. Oh, my. I'd better put my thinking cap on. Let's go with the first one. Oh, oh. Who? Have we have we received some uh, questions we actually, this week? We got three, who, actually. <laughs> who have we heard from? Our first one is Jack Diamond. <laughs> Jack Diamond wrote in. <laughs> of oh. Address Unknown. Oh, yeah, well. He's, yeah. he's someplace in Potomac, I'm uh, sure. Well, Anyways. Counting his money, I You think. bet. Yeah. He asks, hey, Arch. Yes? For Halloween, I had a dilemma. Mm. I had put a pumpkin already at my door, and it was really a big one. A big pumpkin? But I couldn't decide what I should call it. What do you call a big pumpkin at Halloween? Yeah. Oh, well, Jack, that's called a plumpkin. 
Jack Bing. Diamond wrote yeah. that in. I, right. I have a feeling these are Halloween themed. Mm, I, I think Halloween so. has just passed. Thank, <laughs> thank the Lord. All right, for that. Let's get this next one open who, up here. Who on. have we heard from now? What we got? Um, a Mrs. Doreen Miller. Mrs. Doreen Miller of Northwest Washington writes mm, in. That name sounds so familiar. At least half of it Mrs. does. Doreen Miller. She writes, Arch, yes? I've got a brain teaser oh, for you. Oh, I love to tease my brain. <laughs> yes. You know, mm-hmm. even though Halloween has passed, yes. the birds in my neighborhood got very the excited bir- about the it. The birds are excited about Halloween. Can how- you guess how I can tell? How did she know the birds were excited about Halloween? Yeah. That's because the birds were saying, trick or tweet. (laughs) Those are some pretty high-tech birds. (laughs) There's got to be Uh, a Twitter joke in there. Somewhere in there. About Halloween. Let me get this last one open here. Trick or tweet. Okay, we once again hear this week from... Angus Lamont the oh, fifth. I love hearing from Angus Lamont. Uh, there's five of them. Uh, five of Chevy fifth Chase. Angus Lamont the fifth. Right. Chevy Chase. And yes. I, I guess mm-hmm. Angus, uh, looking over this uh, this note, he's still in the Halloween mood. He writes, oh, oh. Arch, I have another brain teaser for well, you. My brain has been teased enough. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a duck with a vampire? Oh, we should have asked Count Gore this. Oh, what do you get when you cross a duck with a vampire. That's easy. Yep. That's Count Quackula. Half-lack. <laughs> well, so that's that's our podcast for this week. And uh, Lou and I hope you had a safe and happy Halloween. And I think in that vein, if you pardon that pun, mm-hmm. we have to end today with the greatest Halloween song ever recorded. You know what that is. Oh, you bet. You you bet. It's by written by a guy named Bobby Pickett. His other hits include Blood Bank Blues, Me and My Mummy, Hmm. and The Monster Rap. But none of them caught on. I, I think they're called in the radio business as stiffs. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't certainly weren't hits like like uh, the Monster Mash song. The Monster Mash. There's only one Monster Mash, and so we hope you enjoy it. And Lou is always enjoying being with you. You bet, buddy. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly. To my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast, the ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the match. They did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They did the match. It caught on in a flash. They did the match. They did the monster match. The zombies were having fun. In a the party had just begun. In a the guests included Wolfman, in Dracula, and his son. The 
scene was Rocky over digging the sounds. Igor on chains back by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It got on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster match. Out from his coffin wax voice did ring. Seemed she was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band, and my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what is said. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And do my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. At the Movies with Arch Campbell and Lou Katz and a cast of thousands comes to you by way of the Katz Podcasting System. Katz, America's number one name in delicatessens, Broadway musicals, and podcasting.